0: Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths working in a wide range of mediums on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the universe, the great mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is clay artist Adrian Lynch. She was born on the cusp of dawn in the wake of Niagara Falls, New York's infamous blizzard of 1977. As an adult, she found her way to clay. For over a decade, she's made mostly figurative ceramic and mixed-media sculpture and drawings with an emphasis on impermanence, transformation, and the ineffable mysteries that take place within the human body boat. She considers teaching not only a joy but a privilege, but her calling as well. She currently teaches ceramics and three-dimensional design at Georgia State University and at the Roswell Art Center West. She's a freelance writer and blogger, and recently began a blog project entitled a daring adventure or dot dot dot," which examines the questions, challenges, and realities of following one's dreams. She is endlessly fond of the colors yellow and gray and of the word yes Welcome Adrian. thank you We're so glad to have you with us today.
1: How did you get interested in the medium of clay as your as your art well um i i didn't I grew up in a very creative family, and I was always drawing and writing, but I never really had any contact with clay um in high school and uh finally when i after some forays into other college studies i went to the university of georgia and decided i was going to study art but i had no idea that i would have any interest in ceramics and i took a class with ted sape who's a, an amazing ceramic artist who still teaches at uga and uh the minute i met him and his encountered his free spirit about ceramics which can be something that makes people really nervous at the beginning cuz it's so technical and then the minute that i touched clay I immediately started wanting to make human figures and just it felt like it made sense to me. I felt like I found a home. So how do you um, how do you feel like that your art
0: finds it connects to your spirituality? How do you feel like your spirituality finds expression through your art?
1: Well, I think uh, maybe when I was in grad school was when I really started to understand for myself that that uh, my creative process, it feels like an act of channeling, you know, and so that's when I really started to understand when I had to kind of really explain my process to my professors and to myself that I feel like a conduit when I'm creating and and then I realized well you know it's not coming from me it's coming through me and then um, I had always been interested in spirituality as a kid I was just a really natural seeker and so I started to really let those questions that were always kind of percolating um, about some of the bigger you know questions of, of life I started to really let them uh, manifest in the form that my work took and I think that For a long time, maybe I was doing that in less direct ways, but maybe I was afraid to really be as clear with myself or with others about it because I didn't want to be pigeonholed, you know, in any particular way. Um, and I think that in, in the world of fine art, there can be stigmas associated with, you know, saying that your art comes from a spiritual place and people can dismiss that. Um, and I think that once I really just started to own that sense of being a conduit when I was creating and let my work really be about um, kind of life's impermanence and its sacredness. That's when my work started to really feel like my own. And that was during grad school. So what do you, what is it about the human figure that draws you to recreate that in clay? That's a good question. I, I think um, it's an instinct for one thing. It's just always been the thing that I've wanted to do. And um, sometimes I move away from it and then I always come back to it. And it's Um, I think that that it's because, for me, I see everything that I'm interested in sort of reflecting on um, as an artist, I feel like... I only know things through my own body, through my senses and my psyche. And all of that is, is sort of, you know, encapsulated in what I think of as the human body boat. You know, it's not just our body. Our body is this sort of seat of our consciousness and our spirituality and our, um, you know, our energy and these things that we can't quite name or, or, um, that aren't completely tangible, but we, we experience all of those through our body. And so I think that that's kind of the vessel for our understanding in life. And so to me, it's kind of the most compelling, uh, form because it, you know, touches on all those different levels that our experience resonates on. And so I think that that's why I come back to it. Well, and I know
0: that you said that you didn't get started in clay until you kind of started college, but that you grew up in an artistic family. Mm -hmm. At what point did you start thinking of yourself as an artist?
1: I mean, probably when I was like three, because because my parents always gave me things to draw with and to draw on. And I would draw you know, on anything I had around me, like a napkin or, you know, and, um, and when I was maybe five, my dad started giving me these blank journals that were hardbound because he used them. He was a writer. And so he would give me, uh, the, the nothing book was the one that came out in the (laughs) early eighties, you know, and, um, and it made me feel like, um he was taking my writing seriously and so that i should too and you know uh so i think that from a very early age and i would draw pictures and write poems to accompany them from the time i was 4 so i think that my parents kind of gave me the sense that 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 was something i could be you know take seriously and and do really consciously and so i think probably for a long time but then i i was recognized more for my writing when i was in high school and i think that i kind of put the visual art away for a bit and, um, and it, it just kind of, um, re of its own will when I was about 23, it sort of like came back with a vengeance and was like, you have to do something with me. You know, <laughs> I just had, I went through this phase where I could not stop making things with my hands. And then I went back to school for art. And so, uh, so, you know, it took me a while to kind of realize that. Right. So do you still have any of those journals that you kept when you were a kid? Well, we moved around a lot when I was young, like a lot, like eight times or something by the time I was seven. so a lot of that early stuff got lost in the shuffle. Um, But every once in a while something will percolate up and like my uncle Mark, um, he found a birthday card that I had sent him when, when I was about probably four or five. He found that about two years ago and he sent it to me. (laughs) And, um, and it had the drawings and it, and it was really funny because I was in grad school at the time and I was, um, rediscovering this symbol of the unicorn, which I, you know, made one for my thesis show, like a life size unicorn and, um, and, And I had drawn, I had a stamp of a unicorn, and I'd stamped it all over the birthday card that I had made for him. And some of the images that I had drawn were some of the same images I was playing with in my work in grad school. And he sent it to me while I was in grad school. And it was like, you know, this has been here all (laughs) along. So when I get those little bits of history that that resurface from time to time, I'm really fascinated, you know, because it just seems like those things are written in us from the time we're born somehow. Well, and that would... If I saw something like that it would make me feel like okay I definitely am
0: on the right path I'm doing what yeah. I'm supposed to do. Yeah, totally. Cuz obviously it was already there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and and it's uh, it's mysterious how that, you know, how as an adult you sort of, you know, it takes you a while sometimes to realize what that sort of imprint, that code is that's in you right. that you're supposed to be bringing to life in your, you know, in your adult life. So it's kind of cool when you get those little glimmers of affirmation.
0: That's right. Yeah. So Adrian, I'm curious if you have any kind
1: of a story of Um, how creating your art has expanded your awareness of God. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that really started to happen in a concrete way in grad school, and I think, uh, like... Uh, it happened on so many different levels, but I think that, um, the work that I ended up making for my thesis show, which was kind of the big ex- exhibition that my three years of grad school culminated in, um, there were really two themes playing out in that work, and one of the themes was kind of the, the sort of search to understand what love is about and, and, um, and to understand, to sort of make sense of the, the trials and tribulations that can be part of trying to understand love, both personally and through a relationship. And then the other theme was really, um, kind of, kind of the sacredness of everything, including all the little, um, I, I'm a collector and I'm, I I can't let go of little things sometimes because I'll find some little bit of rusted metal on the street and it'll look so beautiful to me. And then I wonder what, what object it came from and what life it lived and all the different things that have happened to it. And then I want to do something to kind of glorify it, you know? And so, um, so I, I made a sculpture that was kind of about putting all those objects in one place, um, and then, and then kind of another theme that was happening in my grad school work was sort of affirming, uh, the high and the low of life, assuming that, you know, if, if we were created from a spiritual place, then everything is sacred, the good and the bad, it all has a reason. And, and so, uh, I think that, that that making that work helped me see that my creative practice could be a way of um, almost like drawing a circle around all the disparate elements of my own experience and somehow in creating a container for that, making sense of it. And that felt like essentially a spiritual act, you know.
0: Well, I think that's interesting that you talk about, you know, kind of embracing the the bad and the good as sacred, because I think particularly in our culture, we, you know, tend to only think of the good that could possibly be sacred, that we don't really, we just try to ignore the bad. And so I, I think that that's an interesting concept to say, embracing it all and seeing it all as sacred. And then it's all, it's all makes a whole
1: yeah, and I, it's funny because I think I I probably came at it from the other direction. Like we had from the time I was young, there were uh, really a lot of tragedies and deaths in my family every year, practically for a while. And um, and so growing up, seeing a lot of that, I was I was carrying all this you know heaviness around. And when I started making sculpture, a lot of my early work was quite dark. And and some people might say some of my more recent work has a kind of a sadness to it. But but in grad school, I had this kind of breakthrough that I could let the light into my work too. And one of the ways that that I was able to do that was, you know, by by being able to acknowledge that like both of the light and the dark are part of what we're supposed to experience and I think that I had actually been afraid of making work that had levity because it would seem um, fluffy and sort of fake or something you know lightweight Um, and then and then I started to see that that both of those dynamics needed to be there you know that um, and and so for me it was it was harder for me to embrace the light aspects as sacred than it was for me to express the dark or to embrace the dark aspects as sacred so um, so it's kind of funny how that's interesting yeah yeah so is it hard for you to show your work and have and get the feedback from people that view your work? Actually, it's not. I think the hardest thing for me at this phase of my life is to make enough work because I'm so busy teaching and doing all the different things that it takes to try to make ends meet and sort of further my career. Um, And so I actually really love showing my work. And um, I think that when I came to really, really realize probably probably during grad school that that art is an act of communication and that that process it's, you know, it starts with whatever I'm channeling when I'm creating and then it moves through me and I manifest something, but that cycle isn't complete. Like I haven't fulfilled my mission until I've shared it and gotten some feedback. That's the cycle right there. So I really look forward to those opportunities of sharing my work. And um, I think being an art teacher, like we have to critique all the time. We teach our students, you make a project, you might spend three or four weeks and then we critique it and it's not because we're going to tell you you're wrong or you're bad. It's not a chance to be negative. It's an opportunity to see what you were trying to do and evaluate how well you did it and then look at opportunities where you could push it further so that you can take that into your next piece with you. And so I'm not afraid of criticism, you know? So I actually really enjoy putting my work out there. Oh,
0: that's great. Yeah. So when you're getting ready to create some work, do you have any kind of a process that you get into
1: or or a ritual that you use to get connected to that creative energy? I think for me, drawing is kind of the way that I get connected. And um, when I'm really kind of in a good rhythm with my practice, what I do is I'll start every session with drawing. And what I really love to do when I have the right space for it is to tape a piece of 18 by 24 inch drawing paper to the wall. And um, and I like that surface. And then I draw a lot with charcoal and chalk pastels, which are really soft and easy to blend. And I'll just sort of start. And a lot of times, almost always, I don't have any preconceived notions. So I just start making marks and I let whatever's coming up come up. And sometimes I see a hint of something in the mark that I've made on the page. And then I draw that out, you know, and make it full more fully fleshed out. Um, and sometimes an image or a thought will arise. And I'll go from there. Maybe a dream had occur- uh, an image had occurred in my dream. And, and I want to, you know, tease that out a little bit more. But that process is very intuitive. And I kind of trust what happens in that process. and I, And I'm not forcing it. And sometimes I have to do one or two drawings to get my mental clutter out of the way. And then I get into that more flowing state. But once I'm there, that's where the creative process really opens up for me and where I feel like I really start to become a conduit. And usually I have to do one of those drawings and then step back from it and just kind of see what's there and, you know, feel how it's resonating. And that's usually where ideas for my sculptures arise and that gets me into a zone and I, I trust what comes from that place because it doesn't feel like it's coming from my logical mind. It feels like it's coming from somewhere bigger, you know, than me and I, I really love that feeling when I'm in that zone. So do you have to have a certain amount of time to be able to you know get into
0: that space and then work on your sculpture and and what kind of time do you need to allow for that
1: yeah I mean and that's that's such a hard part about the the phase of life that I'm in right now ideally for me I think um, a five-hour block is so great but even a three-hour block will do and um so, so I would say like to have 45 minutes to an hour to devote to that drawing practice is really essential for me. And if I can have that time and see what comes up, even if I have to then move on to teaching a class or, you know, go to a part-time job, at least I've got that record and I can pick up where I left off the next time. Um, but if that process gets interrupted of drawing, I, I can't, you know, sort of usually restart it or, you know, it's, it's something that has to be let to happen in its entirety. And sometimes it's an hour and a half and sometimes it's an hour. So I like to have a good three to five hour block, because ideally, if I let that process happen, and then I've got that energy. It's like I want to do something with it, you know, and uh, especially if a, a really concrete image came up or sometimes a title will come up with it, too. It's great to then go straight to the clay and mm-hmm. take that momentum. You know, that's ideal. That's why like five to eight hours is is awesome. So so sometimes it's a block for me because I feel like, oh, I need a whole day. And then I rarely have a whole day. And then sometimes I won't start because I don't feel like I'm going to have enough time to, you know, do it justice. And do you have a studio space where you can leave things out and kind of in process? Yeah, right now I'm really fortunate. I have a studio space at Roswell Art Center West where for I guess a year and a half I was uh, an artist in residence and now I'm not officially fully an artist in residence I still teach there but I have a studio space and I do a little work in exchange for that and um, and it's a desk and kind of a shelf unit and a little wall space in a room that I share with two other artists and then over the um, Christmas break I also made a little studio at home with the help of my boyfriend very much. He converted a, a taxidermy table that he uses because he is a taxidermy business. He converted it for me um, very nicely uh, into a ceramics workspace. And we found a little nook in our tiny apartment. So I have a place at home. And that's important because I can maximize my time because I'm going here, there and everywhere. And um, and so I have a place where I can draw and can sculpt at home too, which is great. Well, and I know that you're also a writer and that you've just started this new blog. So are
0: is there a different process that you use to connect if you're going to draw and sculpt
1: versus if you're going to write and blog? That's a good question. I think, um, I can usually tell uh, when I'm in a receptive place to write, and I'm not one of those people that believes in waiting for inspiration to strike by by any means because, you know, life doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> but um But I have a very front-loaded week in terms of my teaching and part-time job commitments, and so by Wednesday night, I've finished all of that, and I'm exhausted, but sometimes I'm really reflective because I've just sort of uh, processed all this experience, you know, and now it's time to kind of digest it and reflect on it. And so usually um, some, and sometimes when I'm, when I'm having a hard time winding down at night and I, I should be asleep, but I can't, I just can't sleep even though I'm exhausted. That's a really good time for me to write. And I think the best, thing that I need to be able to be receptive as a writer is, is total quiet. And I find that the times when I feel like there's less, um, sort of psychic clutter out there are the times when people are sleeping. So really (laughs) early morning or really late Mm -hmm. at night, I can actually think straight because I don't, I don't feel like there's as much energetic interference. You know, it's like the whole world is quieter and I feel like I can be a better channel at that point. You know, my antenna can actually pick up on a more specific signal instead of all the things that are going on out in there, in the world when people are wide awake. And, you well, know. I totally get that. I, I completely <laughs> agree with that too. So I think that's interesting. So
0: tell us a little bit about this new blog that you're starting and what, why you decided to do that.
1: It, it's one of those things I think that... um and kind of like where a lot of my sculptures come from over the Christmas break, I was thinking, you know, I I, I want to make uh, a space in my life more seriously, more conscientiously to devote to my writing because um, it's something that's really important to me, but I haven't really made a space for it yet in my in my professional life. and um and so I had that intention kind of you know percolating but then it was like one day I just sat down and this thing just kind of moved through me and I started this blog and it literally it wasn't like I had this business plan and I had some ideas that I had thought about but it really just kind of happened all one day and it was like you know a 15 hour day and then I was like what just happened you know <laughs> and that's, that's like one of those things I trust that you know because it wasn't just me sort of manufacturing it it felt like um, uh, finally the factors were right but it was like a manifestation of something that needed to be communicated through me. And I, I thought it might just be, you know, who's gonna read this dinky little blog? And there's a gajillion awesome blogs out there. So, you know, what's gonna distinguish mine? So I just thought, well, at the very least, it'll, it'll give me a kind of obligation to put my thoughts to words. And, um, and I've been really, just pleased and grateful at the response because a lot of people are reading it and, um, you know, th- I know a lot of creative people and a lot of people seem to be resonating with some of the challenges and questions that I'm bringing up. And so I really feel like, you know, th- it needed to happen. And, and I, um, and so it's, um, um, It's kind of a, you know, a manifestation of trying to understand, uh, this phase that I'm in in my life, but I looked around and I saw so many other people at a similar stage, and that's why I thought that it might be a a relevant topic for a blog where you're, you're trying to pursue a life that's really the life of your dreams, that's really about trying to, um, pursue your purpose and apply your purpose in life instead of just getting a job and making money. And so you're doing that. And that's the thing that we're all so encouraged to do. I feel like there's more encouragement for that now, like in the last 15 years, you know, in our culture um, and so you're doing that and that's supposed to be the dream you know and you're living the dream supposedly but it's so wrought with challenges you know you go to grad school you get college debt you know what are you going to do with that you're um, you know you're trying to balance um, you know I, I've been working on trying to get a full-time college teaching job and then seeing how tremendously competitive that is and that what is rewarded sometimes um, isn't always that you're doing an excellent job as a teacher but that you're going to be look like an art star and make your university look good you know Know, and that, right. and so, so sort of coming to terms of some of the realities or, or eking out, you know, a meager existence for years while you put like an album together or write a book, um, and you know, and how do you find happiness and is that how we're supposed to live, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so I just thought like this, this is something that a lot of people I know are going through and I think there's a lot here that, um, I don't understand and that I would like to, to bounce ideas off of other people about. So that was kind of the impetus for it. Well, and I do think it's fascinating you know, with my own journey, as well
0: as the other artists that I talk to that, you know, sometimes you feel called to do something and you don't really have a plan as to where it's going to go. But then in a few years you think, oh, wow, that's where, that's
1: where this was supposed to end up. And look at this. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what your writing does in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's and it been, I get like a genuinely fulfilling feeling after I write each blog post, you know, and I'll work on it, I'll edit it and stuff before I post it. It's not just a totally off the cuff kind of thing, but I can tell it's something, it's part of what I'm supposed to be doing because after I do it, I feel like relieved, like there was something I needed to get out and I got it out, you know, and then it's such a great format because it's like a dialogue, you know, you put it out there and then there's fairly re- quick responses to it because of the digital age. And so right. um, it's a really, it's a really satisfying format format. format for something that I intend to be sort of a conversation,
0: you know? Well, and I'll ask you this again at the end, but tell our listeners how they can find your blog.
1: Oh yeah. So it's, it's called a daring adventure or dot, 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 and it's at Weebly.com. So if probably if you Google my name, Adrian Lynch, and then a daring adventure or dot, 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 the words D O T, D O T, D O T and Weebly, you'll find it.
0: Okay, great. Well, Adrian, how has your art affected your spiritual evolution or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art?
1: That's a good question, and I can think about answering it in both directions, but I would say the way that my art has affected my spiritual evolution is that... is something that i 've really come to understand as as a collector of flotsam and jetsam um, as someone who sees sacredness and even like the most lowly things, when I bring all those lowly things together or when I make art that 's about things that are really difficult, like you know death, loss, or heartbreak you know um, or loneliness or just that big question mark feeling that you can have in the sort of in the pit of your soul when I make art about that um, it, it feels as though. Um, it somehow gives whatever that difficult thing is a hug, you know what I mean? And and so in that sense, it feels like it, um, I don't know if elevates is the right word, but it kind of affirms that, that that even difficult experiences are there for a reason, and they're supposed to have a place in our, our growth and in our understanding. And so um, for myself personally, making art about some of the more difficult aspects of life has actually helped me kind of let go. It's like I don't need to carry the heavy energy of that around anymore because I did this alchemy, and I made something from it. And then what's really been gratifying is then sharing, you know, work that that comes from those places with people. And sometimes people just see the the sadness or the heaviness. And but most of the time, people will open up about, you know, the way that something touches them. And these are all experiences that we share as humans, you know, um, death is something, you know, that's universal heartbreak, you know, some of the the search for meaning the search for a partner, all those things. And so usually, um, it seems like, seeing work about those issues, especially if it hits you at a gut level, can elicit um, sharing of stories from other people. And it connects us that way, but also it might help lighten somebody else. Cause sometimes when you just sort of share your story, it's like you're unburdened from it, you know, like maybe you were just kind of carrying it like an extra bag, but then you open it up and you show it to someone else and it's not so scary anymore, you know, and then you realize like, Oh yeah, we all have these little bags that we're carrying around, but, but we don't have to carry them in a heavy way to bring some light to them. And so I think that um, seeing how the process of, of giving form to to these kind of ambiguous, you know, kind of intense feelings and experiences um, can be a sort of lightening of them and uh, a releasing of them and then a sharing of them and, and also an affirming of their purpose, you know, even the, the darkest things. I think that that has really helped me evolve spiritually. It's helped me be less afraid of the dark things and it's helped me embrace kind of the high and the low. Um, and I think there's this beautiful kind of metaphor in ceramics because you, you make something from this kind of blob of clay and you can make anything from it. It's just like magic. And then you put it in the kiln and this alchemy happens, you know, and you get it back out and, um, and you might do more stuff to it, you know? But it, but there's this transformation, like a complete transformation that happens in the kiln, and I I feel like that same kind of transformation happens when when I become a conduit and then I take what's moving through me and make it manifest, and I never really know what it's going to shape into, you know, even if I have a drawing and I have a game plan, it's like there's something beyond me that takes place in the process, and when there's this finished thing and I can step back from it, it's like this internal alchemy has taken place, and then there's an alchemy that gets shared with the viewer, and um and I think clay is such a great medium for me spiritually, because it, it, uh, it sort of models in a concrete way, this other alchemy that happens just through the act of creation and then sharing your creation as an act of communication. So, uh, so it's, it's really helped me understand things in a, in a larger perspective kind of way on a spiritual level.
0: Well, and I love that, that whole idea of alchemy. I think that that's such a cool concept and I, I, you know, to talk to so many artists and experiences myself with what you just said, that you can take these experiences and change them by the expression of your art. Yeah. And I, and I always think people that can't, that think, they can't think of themselves as artists, how do they do that? <laughs> yeah. How do they, how do they process their experiences if they don't have a way? to express it that way. So I think that's, I think you explained that really well. I thought that was very cool. Thank you. you. So Adrian, how do your, um, how do your ideas come to you and how do you decide which ideas you're going to pursue?
1: Um, I'd say probably in a big way, when I draw, things will just arise. And, you know, there's plenty of drawings that just never amount to anything, or maybe they're just a drawing, you know, or they're an expression of something, but it it got as expressed as it needed to be just there. Um, but a lot of times imagery and titles will start to arise when I'm drawing and, and I can usually feel, and sometimes too, I start with like a place that I'm at, like emotionally or energetically in my life in that moment that day. And, um, and I, I sort of try to, you know, put that into the process of drawing, and it'll start to take a shape. And I feel like there's a lot of energy behind something and it just needs to come out or I need to alchemize it to make some kind of sense of it. And so I think that that's where a lot of my ideas come from. And, um, and a lot of times the imagery will arise and a title will soon arise afterwards. And either, you know, in the process of drawing or in the very early stages of building in clay. So I think that that's really where my ideas come from. But but sometimes too, it's from I I pay a lot of attention. I pay attention like too much, you know, to all the details of everything just as I'm, you know, driving to work or just going about my day. So sometimes, too, I kind of feel like everything's a microcosm. And so something will just strike me and then it'll kind of reverberate, you know, in my in my heart and in my imagination. And and I can tell when there's something that needs to become something more, you know, that it feels like a lesson that I'm supposed to carry further, you know, or a mystery that I'm supposed to carry further in order to kind of unlock it. And those are places that ideas come from, too.
0: So do you have any way of tracking your ideas or do you just pursue the one that seems the, the most, um, urgent.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think of um, several things as nets. And I'm really big into having nets to capture these fleeting moment, you know, glimmers that you get because there's too many of them. And if I didn't do something to record them or keep track of them, as you said, then who knows? I, and and I, I really hate that feeling like I'll, I'll wake up sometimes from a dream with such a clear something that I'm supposed to remember. And if I don't write it down, it seems so clear, but I'll lose it. And I hate that feeling because I can tell when I'm supposed to, you know, grab onto something and do something with it. And if I sort of fall short of that mission, you know, so I, I use nets. I use my journal as a net and sometimes I don't have it with me and I have several journals going at any one time so I'll scribble on whatever I've got and hope that I keep up with that scribbled piece of receipt or whatever it is. And then, um, drawing is a way. It's a net for me. And then, um, I have places like in my studios where I just kind of like, you know, cluster things together. And I, I like to write on post-its and uh, little uh, note cards, the blank online note cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so I never know when something's going to just burble up and I try to just jot it down when it does, um, or scribble out a drawing when it does and, and then keep all those things kind of clustered in accessible places. And, um, and, you know, and, and that's, that's my best way of keeping up. So tell our listeners how they can find you and how they can find out more about your work. Um, so I have a, a website for my art that um, is, is in need of some revision, but it's all right. It's, it's through Wix.com. So if you probably if you Google Adrian Lynch art and then Wix.com, you'll find my website there. And then I've got my uh, daring adventure or dot 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 blog. So those are the two best ways to keep up with me. And um, and, you know, and I'm teaching and I might be offering a workshop in May in uh, Cobb County. So anything like that, I try to post it on my blog and on my website to keep people updated.
0: So why don't you spell Adrian Lynch? So if people want to Google you, oh, yeah. they get it spelled right.
1: Good call. <laughs> There's lots of ways to spell Adrian. Um, so it's A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E is Adrian. And then Lynch is L-Y-N-C-H. Excellent. So
0: um, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners about how they might connect their own creative
1: process to an expression of their spirituality? That's a good question. One of the things that I always encourage my students to do is like look around your house, look around at the places that you don't really think of as um as, I don't know, conscious. Um, it's not like you're creating a, a you know, a scrapbook where you wanna show it to someone else and say, This is who I am, this is the core of my spirit. But if you look on your dresser top or a little place where you cluster meaningful objects, you can start to understand so much about what really resonates with you. And I think if you start there and look at the colors in your closet and, you know, look at the things that you snatch out of magazines and pin up on your little, you know, cork board. And um, if you start to pay attention to those little bits, I feel like those are things that, you know, are, are speaking to us, maybe God speaking through those things to us. And it's trying to tell you something kind of about your soul's code. And if you kind of pick up on those bits and pieces and try to do something creative with them, even if it's as simple as making a collage, you know, um, that those things will start to inform you more about what speaks to your spirit. And and I think that's such a great place for any creative practice or just for trying to get to know yourself better and, and to just honor you know, what's unique about you and what you are meant to bring into this world.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much thank for being you. on the show today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Vanessa. Excellent. And thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of artist worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash art is worship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.